0: Good morning everyone. Everyone in their coats and scarves. <laughs> uh, I thought this isn't in my notes but I just wanted to say I thought what Adam just shared at the end was so helpful just about how even though his voice was failing it doesn't change who God is. and actually for him as, uh, as someone who leads us in worship the fact that his voice was failing doesn't matter to God. He was still worshipping and praising. I thought it was wonderful just to be able to have that that sense of actually it's not dependent on me. God loves me as I am. I'm still declaring truth. And it it really spoke to me because this morning I got up and and I walked out the front door. And I was thinking, knowing full well that I'm coming to speak this morning, there's maybe a temptation to head straight there in my prayer. God, will you help me as I come to speak? Will you help me? Help me to speak well. Let it have an impact. And I felt God slow me down. And I actually kind of backtracked a bit, and I just went, good morning, God. Thank you for today. Thank you that your love is the same as it was. Thank you that your grace is the same as it was. Thank you that you see me the same today as you did yesterday. Thank you that your affection towards me and your love for me and your approval of me is not dependent on how well I might preach. It's not dependent on how well I fulfill my responsibilities. Yes, those things are important and I want to do those well. But actually, that's not where my favour is found in God. And I just felt it was so helpful. God just really slowed me down and just reminded me of that. So when Adam was showing what he did, it was just, for me, it was just a kind of another level in terms of what God was already saying. His love for us is just, he loves us because he loves us, because he's chosen us. I think it was just really helpful to to be reminded of that again, so thank you for that. Now I want to ask some questions. They're rhetorical questions, so don't worry, I'm not expecting answers to these, because some of these questions perhaps would stretch the brain. The first question is this, how is electricity made? Well, how about, what are black holes? What is infinity? Why is the sky blue? Why do we have a leap year? How do birds fly? Why does cutting onions make you cry? Where does the wind come from? Why is the sea salty? How big is the world? What happens to us when we die? What is a prime number? Is God real? What makes thunder? Why do you blink? Where do babies come from? How do planes fly? What is time? How does Father Christmas get down the chimney? Where does water come from? Now in uh, 2010, the makers of a TV program called What Do Kids Know? They undertook a survey of 2,500 parents, and those 20 questions that I just reeled off then, they were the the top 20 questions that baffle parents, apparently, these are the questions that parents are getting asked by their children, Uh, some of those I think I might be able to have a a bit of a stab at answering them, some of them I might need to to go away and do a bit of of research myself before doing that, but there's one thing that we cannot miss, uh, is that children ask a lot of questions, Children are inquisitive, they ask questions about all sorts of things, they're, try- they're learning, they're trying to find out, uh, they're, they're trying to understand how the world works, they're trying to understand where they fit in the world, so they're asking questions, it's the best way for them to learn, and some of these questions that they ask are not always easy to answer, in fact, in the same survey, if I remember correctly, one in ten parents confessed to just making up answers, because <laughs> they were too embarrassed to not know the answers, so they just... Just make them up instead, rather than admit that they didn't know. The reason I'm saying this is because um, recently I heard about a question that Eva, uh, our daughter, asked Steph. The context of this is, um, if you were with us for for our Christmas service, when we did the Christmas carol service, uh, the Stepping Stones children came up the front and they sang Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. And then there's a second verse that they sing that goes on with it uh, that Twinkle Twinkle Precious Star and in that verse it says he loves your smile, he loves your face he loves to tell you of his grace and this is a song uh, that we sing fairly often in, in Little Angels it's a song uh, that Eva is very familiar with um, sings it around the house and she, I think she was singing it with Steph a little uh, just two or three weeks ago and then when she finished she turned to Steph and she said mummy, she says what does God's grace look like? what a question to be asked when steph told me this i wasn't there at the time but steph told me what eva had asked her i kind of under, i kind of breathed a little sigh of relief <laughs> i wasn't there i was like i'll leave that one to Steph. it's absolutely fine but i was amazed that she'd come up with this question i not but not necessarily amazed but children come out with some of the most probing and interesting questions and i thought actually it was a great question that she asked, and it got me thinking that actually, how do we answer that as a question? If you've been around church for any length of time, I would expect that you've heard the word grace being used a lot. We use it in our prayers. We sing about it. When people speak and preach, they talk about grace a lot. So it's a word we've heard many times, but actually if we think about how would we perhaps explain what it is, I wonder what our answer would be. And Eva's question really got me thinking, how do we answer that question? And the question I want to pose to you today is, if someone asked you, what does God's grace look like, what would your answer be? I think it's good for us to think about these things. Eva's question got me thinking to the extent that I thought, we won't just keep it in our family. Why not bring it to the wider church family? Something for us to explore together over these couple of weeks. So today and next week, we're going to explore this question together. The thing about grace is that you could do a whole series on grace because it is so deep and so rich. And we have done series on grace. We did one in in the not-too-distant past. But we're going to be doing it over two weeks in the run-up to Resurrection Sunday because at Easter, we see, we reflect, and we celebrate the most outrageous demonstration of grace. So I think it would be be great for us just to think about what grace looks like. And then um, Resurrection Sunday will come and we will celebrate this wonderful act of grace that has been given to us. If you've got your Bibles with you, if you can turn to Ephesians in chapter 1. Just while you're finding your way there, I just wanted to share with you about a TV program that Steph and I really enjoy. It's called The Good Place. I don't know if anyone has has seen The Good Place. Uh, I would recommend it. Uh, highly. And the premise of The Good Place, it starts off, there's this lady named Eleanor, and the programme, the first episode of this, uh, of this show starts with her opening her eyes and she's in a waiting room. And someone greets her and they say, Eleanor, they say, welcome, don't, like, kind of don't worry, welcome to The Good Place. And what's happened, the premise of the show is that this lady, Eleanor, she's died and she's found herself in The Good Place. It's a very interesting programme, I think it raises lots of interesting things for us to think about. Uh, Raises some very interesting uh, points and things to, to provoke us. Uh, it's also very funny. Um, and so the, the idea being, it's kind of based on this idea that, that when you die, you either go to the good place or the bad place. Okay, So probably a fairly familiar way that people might, might think if there is life after death, then that's the way that it would go. But we find out in that first episode that the way that it's decided where you go is that there's a record, everyone, there's a record of everything that someone has done and there's a score that's attached to it. So it's either a positive score if you've done something good or it's a negative score if you've done something that's bad. And then at the end of your life, you have a a final score based on what you've done. And then they take the, the cream of the crop, the ones with the very best scores, go off to the good place and everyone else goes off to the bad place. And that's the way that it's approached in this program. And... This may be similar to a way a lot of people think about God. If you were to stop someone on the street and ask them, how would a person get to heaven? What response do you think you would get? So if you were just to stop anyone on the street, I would suggest, and I would perhaps expect, that it would be something around the lines of, something about being a good person. That is what I would expect most people on the street to to say. And how often do we see the world working like this as well? What I mean is, if, if you do well, if you achieve, if you succeed, you get rewarded for it. It's a, a merit system that determines whether you will be rewarded or punished based on your performance. We see that in all, in, in all sorts of contexts. That's the way things work. It's also what we see in the, the, the majority of the world's religions. You earn your way to salvation. You work your way to God. You have to put the effort in and do the right things in order to be acceptable or welcomed by God. What about karma? Karma, the idea of cause and effect where intent and actions of an individual influence their, their future. So the things that you do have a direct impact and influence what's going to happen to you as you go along. It's a, we, we see it in the world around us, this merit system, this way of thinking. But here's the thing about grace is that grace runs absolutely counter to that way of thinking. If we were to try and put a definition on grace, I think this one's fairly helpful. It's, uh, grace means that God showered favor and blessings on those who did not in any way deserve or earn it. It's not about anything you've deserved or earned. Let me say that again. Grace means that God showered favour and blessings on those who did not in any way deserve or earn it. Jesus once told a story about a sheep that wandered off away from the flock, gets itself lost, unable to find its way back. And when the shepherd realises what's happened, when when he's seen that this sheep's gone missing, he leaves 99 other sheep, And he goes and he finds it. And Jesus says, actually, he went to search for it. He wouldn't stop looking until he found it. And he finds this sheep and he picks it up, puts it on his shoulders. And he's so happy. He's just speaking out just how joyful he is. He goes off rejoicing that he's found this sheep and he goes home. And not only he's so overjoyed about the fact that this sheep that was lost has been found. Do you know what he does when he goes home? He calls everyone else out of their houses to come and celebrate with him. So we've got this sheep that's wandered off. It's got lost. It's unable to find its way home. What would have happened to that sheep if no one had gone off to find it? That sheep would have died in all likelihood if no one had gone to rescue it. But this shepherd is absolutely determined. He searches out the sheep. He's the one that goes and finds it and brings him home. And I think this is a helpful picture of grace and it's something I'm going to come back to a little bit later on just to expand why I think it is the helpful picture of grace. See the thing about grace is it's, it's a gift, it's something that's given and it's a gift that really is for the good of the person that receives it but as I was thinking about it I was thinking Do you know what grace is a gift but it demonstrates the heart, the desire and the character of the giver. now in preparing for this week and for next week i came across an article by a guy called Paul Tripp and he briefly addresses this question of of what god's grace looks like and he in his article he says there there are many variations of grace there are many things that we could could look at uh, and and talk about with grace but he writes about six different types of grace and really uh, this has helped kind of bring the structure of these two sermons. There's been some really helpful things he said there that I thought actually these would be good things for us to, to pick up on and things to think about but it's kind of worked in the sense that this week is going to be more about how, how grace, what grace looks like in terms of our identity or status so what or rather who grace makes us to be and then next week uh, it's going to be more about walking with God. How does grace enable us in our lives? And how does grace enable us in our walk with God? What does that look like? So let's pick up then from Ephesians chapter one. We're going to start from verse three and we're going to read through to verse 14. So it says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Making known to us the mystery of his will. According to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance, and we, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Now going back to that sort of definition of grace that we looked at, uh, which says that God's grace means that God showered favor and blessings on those who didn't earn or deserve it. These verses in Ephesians, really, they are speaking of the blessings that are found in Jesus. So if we're saying grace is about blessings uh, and and um, And favour that we haven't earned. And this passage here is saying that these are the blessings that that we've received in Christ. I think actually as we look through what Paul's writing. uh, This shows us a glimpse of what grace looks like. And the first thing I want to pick up on is this. Which is God's forgiveness. And this is where I want to come back to that story that Jesus told about the lost sheep. Because at one point. We were all like that sheep. We wandered off from God, looking to live independently of Him, searching after other things to give ourselves to. This is where we've all been. We've all done wrong. We've all done things that would stand against the way that God would have us live. And this, our sin and our sinfulness, has actually separated ourselves from God. came across something on Twitter yesterday that I thought was so helpful when thinking about sin and its consequence and this person had said to be in sin is to be lost because sin is a disorientation from the fundamental good who is God that sense of sin it, it disorients us because actually we miss the goodness of God because we're looking in all other sorts of places and when we become disoriented from God we become lost which is what sin does and when we found ourselves in that position where we've suddenly realised, actually, how, I've, I've, where have I, how have I got to this place? I realised that I'm separated from God. We may have felt, perhaps, that we could win favour and maybe we could even earn our way back. After all, as we, we've kind of thought about already, maybe that's the way a lot of people would think about a relationship with God. But like that sheep, there's nothing that we could do to help ourselves remember what would have happened to that sheep if the shepherd hadn't gone out to find it in all likelihood they would have died a there was a consequence to that wandering and sin leaves us guilty and guilt leaves us deserving of a punishment unless and the unless that comes in here is unless we are forgiven Tim Keller he says that karma says you get what you deserve, but through and in Jesus this isn't ever true. We don't get what we deserve through Jesus. See, in verse 7 of this letter, in the first part of this letter that Paul's written to the church in Ephesus, he says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. Redemption is its the ransoming someone from captivity or ransoming someone out of slavery it's paying the price that's been required for someone's freedom and Paul is deliberately he's using this language, he's using this imagery, he's using it to explain that this is what we have in Jesus he's saying that when Jesus died on the cross he paid the price, he bore the punishment that we deserved Terry Virgo um, when thinking about this he In a book called Start, I think it is that I was reading this week, he says that when you turned your back on sin, that is when you've repented, so when you've turned your way on the old way of doing things, and when you've asked Jesus to forgive you, he immediately took away all your sin by his death on the cross. In Jesus, we've been forgiven. And remember what Paul says in those verses. He says, uh, um, the forgiveness of our trespasses... According to the riches of his grace, which has been lavished on us. According to this gift of God. Not because of anything that we've done. The forgiveness we've received is not because of anything we've earned or deserved. It's according to this gift of grace. This undeserved or unmerited grace. We've been forgiven because of God's gift of grace that's generous. It's free. It's extravagant. It's poured out, it's a deluge. It's not a half measures thing, it's a lavish grace that goes far and beyond what perhaps is even needed or expected. To the extent so lavish is God's grace that we have forgiveness for our sins, not just the things that we've done in the past, surely that would be more than enough, but past, present and future. That's how great this grace is. Psalm 103 is, uh, I think I I might have read some of this a few weeks ago in church, uh, which it's a psalm that really celebrates the goodness of God towards his people. And in verses 10 to 12, it says this, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove His transgressions from us. And for those of us who have been brought into God's family through Jesus, that's true of us. Isn't that a wonderful promise uh, uh, or statement about God's character and God's nature? He does not deal with us according to the things that we've done. He does not deal with us in a way that actually the way that we've lived and the things that we've done would deserve us to be. He doesn't deal with us in that way. Because of his grace. How do you work out the value of something? How is it determined what something's really worth? I heard recently uh, or I recently read that the true value of something is what someone is willing to pay for it. That's how you actually work out what the value of something is. So when we consider what price Jesus paid to redeem us when we consider what it costs for our forgiveness, what does that say about how valuable we are? What does that say about how valuable you are to God? Just going back one last time to this story of the sheep that was lost, I was really struck this time round when I read through it about just kind of the response and the reaction of the shepherd when he finds that sheep. He went rejoicing. He went calling out his friends and his neighbours and his family to come and celebrate with him. Such was his joy in finding that sheep that had been lost. I was just struck. Do you know, that's what Jesus thinks about you. So, what does God's grace look like? It looks like God's forgiveness. Let's think about God's acceptance. So, Paul shows the church that they have received God's forgiveness. He also shows them that they've received God's acceptance. In verse 5, he says, In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So sin once separated us from God, and by God's grace, we've received forgiveness. But not only have we received forgiveness, we've also been brought into his family. We've received his acceptance. We've been welcomed in. We've been accepted in. I sometimes think, actually, God's forgiveness is more than, than I could ever hope for. It's more than I could ever earn or deserve. But not only have we been forgiven, we've been accepted by him as well. We've been brought into his family. And it's not this sort of, it's not an upstairs-downstairs sort of relationship in the sense... That was a program, right? Upstairs-downstairs where you had uh, the, the family living upstairs in their quarters and then you had the servant-staff downstairs. I don't watch much Downton, but I think it's probably a similar sort of thing in that program where you have this separation. You've got the servant-staff living separately from the family. There's a very clear distinction there. But here's the thing. We've been adopted as sons and daughters. We're now we're part of the family, Our status has changed completely. We don't need to work our way up a hierarchy. We don't need to seek promotion to work our way up through the ranks. By grace, you have a completely new identity. You've been adopted as a son or a daughter into his family. And as sons and daughters as well, what Paul is saying to the church, he's saying you're also heirs because there's an inheritance here that is waiting for you In Jesus. It's what sons and daughters get right. They're heirs. They get the inheritance of their father. So not only have we been accepted. And welcomed into his family. As sons and daughters. There's also an inheritance. That we get to share with Jesus. This is is extravagant. God's grace on us is extravagant. When we consider what that means for us. So we were once separated from God. But now we have a father child relationship. With him. Where we have access to him we can come to God we can come confidently to him a few I think it was two weeks ago when Lou was sharing about words she was sharing about journaling and she says I bring everything that I've got to God I don't have to have it all sorted out or worked it through before I bring it to God I just bring it as it is She can do that because she's got freedom to do that, because she's a daughter of God. So she can just bring everything. And it's true of you and me. We have access to God. We can bring everything to him. And as we do this, he responds to us as a a, um, kind and loving father. Phil Moore, he wrote a commentary uh, on the book of Ephesians. And in there he, he picks up on Paul's reference to Jesus as the beloved, and he says it's a deliberate link to words that have been spoken over Jesus before. The first one is in Matthew 3 17 at Jesus' baptism. So as Jesus is being baptized, it says, Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And then if we jump a few chapters on to Matthew 15, verse 7, at the transfiguration, so this is where Jesus' glory is revealed. And there's a moment where uh, they're all gathered round, and, and a, cloud, um, a cloud overshadows everyone that's gathered. And it says that a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And Fillmore picks up on this. He says, look, Paul's using this, this sense of, of the beloved because he's drawing this deliberate link to these things that have been spoken over Jesus already. And he goes on to say, now God speaks those same words over you and me. Because we've been adopted and accepted as sons and daughters. Francis Chan, who some of you might have heard of, he says that there's nothing better than being absolutely sure that the most powerful being in the universe adores you as his own child. Paul, he's writing to the church in Ephesus to tell them that they were chosen. He's saying God's heart was towards you since before the dawn of time. Before they had a chance to do good or bad. Before they had a chance to choose obedience or disobedience. Chosen before the foundation of the world. Let me ask you a question. If we've been chosen before the foundation of the world. What part have we played in this? What influence In any context, however that may look, what influence did you have before the foundation of the world? None. We had absolutely no influence. So we've been chosen. Not according to our merit or or performance, but according to the purpose of God. That's what Paul says, not once, but twice. Twice in verse 5 and verse 11 he says that you've been chosen according to the purpose of his will and then he goes on to say you've been chosen according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will been chosen not because of anything you've done but because it's his purpose it's god's purpose it's god's will it was him that initiated it it was him that saw it through you didn't earn forgiveness you didn't earn acceptance. You didn't deserve it. But God said, I want you. I think that, that's, surely that's what it means to have been chosen before the foundation of the world. God simply said, I want you. So what does God's grace look like? It looks like God's acceptance. And Finally, this one's going to be a bit quicker than the other two. I want us to think about God's presence. Our, see, our father is not distant. Wherever we go, whomever we're with, whatever the time, he is with us. Let me read you some verses from Psalm 139. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. There is no place in the universe that God will not be present. There is no place too dark that God will not see you. Perhaps we can hear those words. That might, We might get to the place of thinking almost that God's kind of on the outside looking in. If there's no place I can go where he can't see me. No place I go where he's not there. But, but in Christ, God has sent his spirit to live in us. He doesn't pay us a visit from time to time. He doesn't, call, he doesn't call around when we've asked if we can see him for a little bit. That's not the relationship that we have with God. When Paul was writing to the church in, in Corinth, he was talking to them as the church, so they gathered believers together, brothers and sisters gathered together. He says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? God has made us the place where he dwells. Which means he's with us all the time. He's taken up residence in us. He's not a visitor. He doesn't just pop pop in from time to time. He's taken up residence in us. In Christ, Paul says, we've been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And Paul's using this picture of a wax seal on a letter We probably don't see many wax seals on letters these days but what they did it was to kind of guarantee or authenticate who the letter was coming from or what the, that you kind of trust what the contents of the letter would say and this is the picture that Paul's using about the Holy Spirit he's saying that being filled with the Spirit so having the Spirit dwelling in us having the Spirit living in us is a seal it's an authentication that the salvation that we've received is a genuine work of God See, it's not just that we are in Jesus, it's that Jesus is also in us. So what does God's grace look like? God's grace looks like God's forgiveness. God's grace looks like God's acceptance. And God's grace looks like God's presence with us. If Adam and the team, if, if you can come up. We're going to, like Mike said, we're going to come back into a bit of a time Of worship. Because we have a lot. To praise God for don't we. We have a lot to thank God. For. I think particularly when we're thinking. About grace and justice. Real. Reminder that. It's all of him. It's that God chose us. It's that God initiated. What needed to be done to bring us back to him. It's that God is Welcomed us into his family. God lives in us. It's a lavish gift. I just want to finish with this. I said quite near the start that, that as I've been thinking about grace and kind of pondering on it, the place I've got to is that I think grace demonstrates the heart, the desire and the character of, of the giver. And as God lavishes grace on us, we, I think, as God lavishes grace on us, we see him through it. We see more of him. We see more of his nature. We see more of his heart. We see more of his character because it's an overflow of who he is. Paul says that we've been adopted to the praise of his glorious grace. Then again in verse 12 of that passage we were in, he writes that those who were the first to hope in Jesus might be to the praise of his glory. Because God's grace to us reveals something of his glory. It's a glorious thing. It points to him. It's a demonstration of what he's done. Each one of you here today who are following Jesus, who have been born again, who have been forgiven by Jesus, each one of you, and we look and see the grace of God in you. It brings glory to him. Because it shows us who he is. Because all of us are able to stand here today and say, it's nothing that I've done. It's nothing that I've deserved. It's nothing that I've earned. It's the gift of God that's been given to me. And my life has been absolutely and utterly transformed. Because God chose me. Because God chose you. Because Jesus paid the price. To redeem you from the place that you once were. To bring you into God's family. That the Holy Spirit now dwells in you. Doesn't that speak volumes about God? You see, he takes our mess. He takes our brokenness, our frailty, our helplessness, our sin. And he uses them to showcase his glory. Did you know that? That you are a showcase of God's glory. It's about Him. It's about who He is. It's about His nature and His character and His heart and His desire and His passion and His goodness and His mercy and His grace. May I invite you to stand?